Thanks for watching this episode of Turning to Him. I invite you to just take a few seconds right now at the beginning and subscribe to this channel so that you can get more videos like this in your feed. Thanks again. Hello, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Turning to Him. My name is Zach Batty, and I'm here with Christine Dodds. Christine, how are you doing today? I am doing really well. Thank you for chatting with me today. Well, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Um, as we get started, give us a 30-second sample of what you want to share today, what we're going to talk about today. Sure. So I am a convert to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, the first 30 years of my life, I did not have the gospel in my life. And although I was very successful in many things, I just felt like something was missing. And I'm so blessed that I was able, through many miracles, to be able to find the gospel. And that Heavenly Father has been so good to me. There have been so many miracles that have led to so many people being able to find Christ and being able to have that spirit of God in their life. And so I'm excited today to share you to share with you that process of how I found the gospel and how I was able to get sealed in the temple and how family work has blessed me. There's just so many great things that um, that I have been able to find by being able to find the gospel of Jesus Christ and know that I am a loved daughter of God. I love it. I love hearing people's conversion stories. And you, know, you could argue that we all have a conversion story, which is true. So maybe I should say I love hearing people's how they met with the missionaries. Yes. Um, so, so, yeah, to get, get us started, where did you grow up? So I grew up in Mesa, Arizona, which is a really high density of members. Like the wards there are like half mile by half mile. Um, yes. And in my first 30 years, I never knew a single member of the church. Like no one. Really? I never had a single friend. I was never invited to church. I knew nothing about the church, nothing. Because I was a little left to center. I was not um, your typical member. I didn't dress like a member. I didn't really talk like one. I just never knew anything about it. And so just people assumed that I wouldn't have been interested or that it wasn't something that, um, that I, and that's crazy that I had like literally probably all my neighbors were, and I never knew, like never anyone had ever shared their testimony or like, Oh, I went to church this Sunday or anything. Like I was not, I did not grow up in a religious home. So you, um, so, so you probably knew tons of members of the church, but nobody ever introduced you to it. Yeah. And no one ever talked about it. No one ever said like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm Mormon or I'm, you know, of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. No one ever said that. So like I couldn't tell you a single person that I grew up with that was a member and not even just like that. They didn't share it, but like they didn't even say that they were um, because I was so different than them that they just yeah. assumed that I was like I was not in their youth groups and I was not in the YSA ward. So it was just not something. So um, my childhood was very rough. Lots of bad things happened. Um, so when I was 18, I was very excited to move out and I really wanted to do well. So I went um, to college and I worked really hard and um, I got my bachelor's and then I got my doctorate in pharmacy. So I graduated at 23 with my doctorate and I moved up really quickly and became a supervisor. And I managed 23 pharmacies in the Mesa Gilbert area and then went to California and managed 23 pharmacies there. And um I was very successful. Like I was 25 and had 300 direct reports and I was making really good money and I had everything of the world, but I still felt like something was missing, like that I was missing something really important. But I still felt like something was um, so I decided to go to a bunch of different churches to see if I could find which church might be right. So I went to several different non-denominational churches and Baptists and Protestants and everywhere I went, 
like it was good, but it felt like something was missing. In a lot of churches, it felt like where much is given, nothing is required, which didn't quite make sense to me. Like it felt like, like if God loves you so much and he's giving you so many blessings, like shouldn't we in return do something besides just accept him, right? Like I felt like there needed to be more involved and it wasn't quite there. And then one day at work, someone says, oh, well, you should try Institute of Religion. I was like, oh, great. I love to learn about religion. So I went to my first class and I didn't even realize it was from your church. Right. And of course it was. They were learning about the Book of Mormon and about Alma um, when they were learning about the seed of faith. And that if you have even a particle of faith, it will grow. It's like the perfect lesson for a new convert to, or just someone investigating the church to hear about. And I was just so intrigued by it. At the end of the class, the teacher's like, oh, you know, tell me about yourself. And so I was like, well, you know, I'm just looking into things and whatnot. And he's like, well, here, here's a book of Mormon. I want you to go to the Mesa temple and I want you to pray and ask God if this book is true. Like, and I had never read it in my entire life. This was the first class I ever went to. Like, what a bold invitation looking back. But I was like, okay. And so I took the book of Mormon and I drove to the Mesa temple, which is about 15 minutes away. And I went and I went into the gardens. And as soon as I stepped on the grounds, like you could feel the spirit so strongly. Like as members now, sometimes we forget like how amazing the spirit is in consecrated places because we carry the spirit with us, right? We have the Holy Ghost. We're living in line with God. So we kind of carry that around with us everywhere. But when you're not a member, you don't have that spirit with you. And so it is like you're being freezing cold and get this warm blanket on. And you're like, oh, that is amazing because I was not living in line with God and I did not have the Holy Ghost. And so just stepping onto those temple grounds was amazing to feel that spirit. And so I go into the garden area and there's like a little bench area. And so I was like, well, I have never prayed. Like I was 30 and had never prayed in my life. I didn't really know how to pray. But, you know, the teacher said I should go pray and ask if this book is true. So I knelt down and I prayed for the first time. And I was like really kind of stumbling over my words because I didn't really know what to say. But then I asked, I said, God, is this the place for me? Like, is this book true? Is this where I need to be? And I got such an overwhelming feeling that this is where I needed to be. Like there was so much I didn't know and so much that I didn't. There's so many questions, but I knew that this is where I needed to be. And so I was like, okay. And so I kept going to Institute and it was so sweet because um, he would give us reading assignments. And then before they started class, they'd have two or three people share like a spiritual thought based on what they read. And so each class I would share one because it's the first time I read it. And I was like, this is so awesome. But before I would talk, I'd be like, how do you say this word? They're like, oh, that's Zarahemla because I'd never heard the yeah, word yeah, said yeah. before, right? Yeah. Or like that's Abinadi because I'd never heard the word. But I could see how it was so applicable to like modern day. And so anyway, so I attended um, Institute for like two or three months. And then I looked up online at LDS.org to find my closest meeting house. So then I just showed up one day. And so the missionaries like, that's amazing. Like I had such a strong testimony of Joseph Smith and the Book of Mormon, but I'd never been to church. And so they're like, great, when are you going to get baptized? And so I was like, I prayed about it and I can't yet, which is like what every convert says, right? And I was like, no, but really I have. And so anyway, so I kept going to church and I had such a strong testimony and it was just amazing. Like every day that I sat there, you could just feel the spirit and it was so good. But there was so much opposition. My late husband at the time was absolutely against the church. He said, if I joined the church, he would divorce me. Like he even drew up papers. And I was like, but I prayed this is what I needed to do. Um, three people at work quit because I was investigating the church because they hated them so much. Um, my family said that if I joined, they would disown me. Like there was so much opposition. But the missionaries are like, whenever you feel opposition, just go to the temple and pray about it. And from that first time, I knew the temple was a good place. So I would go in the gardens, I'd pray. And I just knew that this is where I needed to be. And so then May came around and then at church, someone like tapped me on the shoulder and they're like, oh, the stake president wants to talk to you. So I was like, OK, like I don't even know who it is. So anyway, so I go talk to him and he asked me about my story and I'm telling him he's like, OK, I feel good about my decision. 
I was like, oh, well, what decision is that? And he's, and he's all like, well, I signed you up to speak at state conference, like as a non-member. And so I was like, okay, what's state conference, right? Because I didn't even know. <laughs> and so anyway, so, um, and I was like, well, what should I talk about? And he's all like, well, just write something. He's, and he's like, no, just tell your conversion story. And I was like, well, I know the temple is a good place to go. So I went to temple grounds and I wrote the talk. And then I left and I read it. And I was like, there's no way I can read this because it's like not what I would have said. But that's what the spirit told me to say. So I was like, okay, I was so nervous. But anyway, so I went to state conference and gave the talk. And that was the first time my late husband ever came to church was when I gave that talk. And after and to hear me speak. Yeah. And then afterwards, he's like, OK, well, maybe the missionaries could come over because previous to that, I had to do the missionaries at um, church because he wouldn't allow them in our home. And so the missionaries came over. They talked to him for like four hours and he had so many questions. And at the end, he's like, I'm going to get baptized with her. And so it went from threatening to divorce me to get baptized with me, which is amazing. And so for the next month, those dear missionaries taught my husband, my late husband, every single day which was quite the process because he at that point um, had a mental illness that would later take his life that um, one day he'd be totally for it one day not. And so they were so nervous about what was going to happen. Um, but he did get baptized. We both got to be baptized together that day, which was amazing. The next week he fell away and wanted nothing to do with it, but he was baptized. So, and I got to join the church, which was amazing. Um, and so that next so I loved the temple even before I was baptized. So I was really excited to get my temple recommend to go do family history work and to discover my ancestors. And so it turns out four generations back, we were one of the first pioneers to cross the plains to go to Salt Lake. But then in Salt Lake, they fell away. So for four generations, there's hundreds and hundreds of names that never got to know the gospel because they fell away from the church. And so that first year, I did over 500 baptisms. So by the time I got my endowments at one year, I had done. 52 sacraments, but over 500 baptisms and confirmations, which is kind of backwards what most people is. And so it was awesome. And so when I went to get my endowments, I didn't know like culturally who you're supposed to invite or not because I didn't have any family in it. And so just people who I'd gotten to know in the ward, I'm like, oh, will you come do this family name for me when I get my endowments? They're like, oh, sure. And so anyways, that day we had 49 board members come and to do my family name. So one day in heaven, we'll be like, do you remember that one day when all 50 of us got our endowments? And it was just so amazing. Oh, my gosh. Okay. I feel like there's so much of that story that we could rewind and, and like, tear into. That's astounding. Let, what do you think, or do you think there's anything in your past that made you a searcher? I mean, it, it sounds like you reached a point in your life where if we were to chart your life, beginning of your life, tough. So really mm-hmm. tough experiences, so much so that at 18, I'm, I'm guessing that it was more than just every 18-year-old wants to leave the house. But at 18, you were like, I'm done. I'm done with this household. Is that true? Yes. Yes, it was because my parents were very lost in their own issues and their own problems that it was just I needed to get to somewhere safe and to start my own life. And for a long time, I couldn't believe in a God that would allow so much suffering and so much pain. Like, how could there be a God if there could be so much bad in the world? And so that was really a stumbling block for me to believe that there could be a loving God if they would allow such things to occur. And so what ended up happening later is understanding agency, that God cannot control what other people do. And much of my suffering was the result of other people's poor choices. But looking back, I can see the angels that attended me. Like I can see the miracles that protected me and got me through it. And reading scriptures, knowing that the best 
prophets that ever lived had really hard lives. So believing in God and trusting in him does not mean that you have no problems. It just means he's going to get you through it. And there was a strength and a calmness and a hope that could not be explained any other way than that I had the spirit of God with me. I just didn't know it. Okay. I love hearing that. And I, of course, completely agree with that. But it's fascinating. Talk to me more about, I mean, you you get out of your home and you start this career path and your life is completely trending up. It would be easy for someone, especially someone who wasn't raised with God in their life to say, look, I did all this without this supposed God that you mm -hmm. all believe in. Like I dug myself, I'm a self, I'm a self-made woman. Mm -hmm. I'm at the top of my game. I'm 24 years old and everything is roses. So yeah. talk to me about, what happened there? You know, how, how come you started saying, I think there's more to this? Um, it's because, you know, everyone had always said, like, if you get money, you get recognition, like life will be good. Like that is your goal. And so that's what I had worked for for many years. But then once I had that, I'm like, this is not that fulfilling, right? Like, it's great to be comfortable with money. It's great to have people respect you. It's great to have lots of these things, but it's still very empty. Like, it seems almost as if my talents were being wasted right like I felt like I was not using my full potential because I was very good at many things but really I'm just making other people more money which didn't really feel like the measure of my creation it felt like that there should be more good to what I had what my talents were than just making more people more money because I could see that the further up I went in the chain people weren't happier if anything they were less happy and they had more addictions and there was more depravity and it wasn't there wasn't a linear effect of more money and more fame equals more happiness. So it was like, so there must be some other missing piece. So it was not the depths of despair that brought me to God, but it was more that me realizing that money and fame do not lead to happiness, right? Like doing, that's not the key there. And so I was like, so there must be something else. And the happiest people I knew were people who believed in God. So I was like, so maybe there's something to that, which led me to try all those different churches. Wow. That's, uh, I mean, that could be, that could be, to take a, a line from my former stake president, that could be crocheted and put above the mantelpiece. It was not the depths that brought me to God. It was, yeah. because I think a lot of people, a lot of us feel like um, we have to be humbled and crushed and in the crucible in order, in order to, to turn to God. In order to turn to God and see that. And that certainly is the case for many of us. Many of us do require that. But certainly it's like it's that. Not the only way. It's not the yes. only path. It is not. Sorry about that. Um, yes. And it's just like how in the Book of Mormon, it says that you can either choose to be humbled or be compelled to be humble. Yes. And so my conversion story was that I chose to be because I was just looking for that. There was something more that I would be able to add value and to have more deeper connection, and more satisfaction than just making money, which is useful. But it is not sure. did not seem to fulfill the measure of my creation. Yeah. Okay, fantastic. All right, so then, so you're at the top, you start looking around, you visit all, all of these other churches. So you, again, you have this desire in you to seek out and you start this investigation process. Talk to me about what it was like to go to Institute for the first time. I mean, you walk in there and you said that you were a little bit left of center. Uh, did, you, did you look left of center? 
Yeah, I just looked left of center. Like I wasn't dressed modestly. Like I yeah. was 30 and everyone there is 19 and 20, right? Because it's just a little community college. And so they'd be like, mm, okay, like that's interesting. Um, but, and I was just listening so intently and they were talking about the seed of faith, which was like the perfect lesson for someone who is searching, right? And that um, it was so intriguing to me that God wouldn't care about your past, that no matter how you came to him, like he just required a willing heart and a contrite spirit. And that was it. Um, the other thing that absolutely captivated me was they talked about the atonement and what the sacrament was. So for me, for 30 years, I carried around every mistake, every wrong word or every like impatient tone of voice because I could never get rid of it. There is no method to not carry all of that shame and guilt. We're here when you have the sacrament every week, you can give it to God and you get to start over. And like sometimes as members, we forget like how revolutionary that is, that no other church believes that um, or practices that. And it is so freeing to be like, I give it to you now. Like I tried my best. I made mistakes, but you can make up the difference and I can try again tomorrow. And so that was very powerful to me to know that I did not have to carry the weight of all of my wrongdoings in my past. Wow. So, you, okay. So you just happen, and I say that in quotes because there are no coincidences. Sure. You just happen to go to an institute building, you walk in, you get a completely warm reception, even though you, you probably don't fit the mold. No, like, visually. Yeah. Don't fit the mold. So you get a warm reception, institute teacher welcomes you in, you have the perfect lesson. Yeah, you couldn't have planned it better, right? And the teacher didn't know I was coming. So it's not like he's like, hmm, which lesson yeah, should yeah. I do? Like that just happens to be where they were in the manual. And maybe he might have added a few more things in there because he knew I was a, a convert, like talking about the atonement and the sacrament maybe did not quite fit in there. Um, but it was perfect. Like it's exactly what I needed. And I'm so grateful that he had such courage. Because can you imagine like person you just met, like go to the temple and pray about the Book of Mormon you've never read? So, so that's what I was going to ask. Okay, so closing prayer happens. Do you stand up and go and talk to this institute teacher? Do they come to you? How does that work? Yeah, so I got up and I was like, you know, thank you for letting me come today. Like, it was so interesting. And he's like, I am so glad you came. He's so like, so here, I want you to keep this Book of Mormon. Um, because when I got there, he he led, he led lent to me one while we were talking, right? And so I went to go to the bathroom. He's like, oh, no, you can keep this. And he's like, and what I want you to do is I want you to take it to the Mesa Temple. And I want you to pray about it and see. And like, how inspired was that? Because it's kind of unusual to invite someone to go to temple grounds to pray about the Book of Mormon. Yeah. Well, that's what else was I going to ask. At this point, have you even heard of the temple? Do you know what the temple is? Well, I had driven past it before, but I didn't know what it was used for or okay. why it was there. Just that it was a beautiful building that was part of their church. Yes. Okay. So this, so you can, I mean, when he says the Mesa Temple, you know what he's talking about. Yes. Yeah, so I knew where it was. Yeah. Okay. So you go to the Mesa Temple. You know, when you prayed about the Book of Mormon, had you read any of it other than what was in class at that point? No, just what was in class. Like, that was it. Just what they had read in class, the, the little snippets of scripture, like, go to this one and whatnot. And the girl next to me was, like, helping me find the scriptures, and it was so cute. Her <laughs> and I became such good friends. And then at my baptism, she, like, played the cello, and it was so cute. So great. That oh, whole class yeah. just loved it. And they all came to my baptism and just how fun, right? To have that experience as a young adult to see like this older convert and like have a complete change of heart and be able to watch that whole process. Okay. So from the day you walk into the Institute building to the day you get baptized, how long? So I started in January at Institute and I got baptized May 31st. 
Okay. So six so months. It was, yeah. So six months, even though like that first day I knew it was true, but every time I would pray about it, I just got not yet. And it was because my late husband's heart needed to be softened first because mm-hmm. the only way that would happen is if we did it together. And even though he fell away, at least he had that ordinance before he passed away. Sure. Sure. Well, like you said, I mean, it's just, you know, we're, we're gaining a better understanding of mental illness and, and what that does. And, and the, God uses a, a measuring stick, an individualized and personalized measuring stick for each one of us. Yep. But it, it's interesting. Um, we talk a lot about God's timing. And for the, I feel like for most of us, the answer is when we get an answer to prayer, it's to act quickly and immediately. But you have to admit, and I think you're a perfect example of it. There are situations where the Lord says, yes, you will get baptized, but not yet. You just but you have to, to wait. I'm, just, I, I'm, I'm twisting the dials. I'm getting things lined up. You just need to trust me. Yes, because it was. Go ahead, go ahead. It was an ordinance that I wanted so much, and it's hard to wait on something. It's like it's a righteous blessing, so why can't we do it now? But I felt such a strong feeling that this is the right timing and yeah. that um, that it needed to wait. And it was perfect because I got to give that talk at state conference, and it got to soften my late husband's heart, and he got to be baptized. And there were so many people that grew to know my story that I was able to positively affect by having to wait that six months versus just being able to do it right off the bat. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. And then, okay, so you're baptized and, and then you are immediately filled with the spirit of Elijah. I mean, you cannot get enough family history. Yes. That Sunday, he gave me my, um, my temple recommend right after I was um, confirmed at church since I was a convert, since I, when I got the Holy Ghost or um, confirmed a member. And then I got to get my temple recommend and I was there at 5 a.m. on Tuesday morning because I was so excited to go do baptisms. So, <laughs> um, wow. okay. So what, what happens when you find this ancestor four generations earlier? Um, so when I was still investigating, I was not baptized yet. One of the women at church, she's like, oh, I would love to help you with family history, but I'm going to tell you that when we start it, there's going to be a lot of opposition. Your computer's not going to work. The login's not going to work. Like all these things are going to happen, but just trust me, you just push through it because the adversary is going to want to stop you. And I was glad she told me that because yeah, it was so hard in the beginning, like the system kept glitching and it wouldn't recognize my family and all these different things happening, but we worked through those took about two or three weeks. But then as we started going back and, and piecing it to someone who had already passed away, like all of it filled in and hundreds of names were there and all green, just ready to go. Like no work required, just like print me and do me. And so there were just so many family names that were, that had been waiting for generations for someone to join the church and to be able to do their work. And it was just so fulfilling to know that I was giving them that option, whether they chose to accept it or not is their choice. But just that we could take it to the temple and I would learn such fun stories about it. And since I couldn't do male names, I'd go to the temple and I'd wait in the chapel and I'd pray. I'm like, please send me a young man to come do my male names. And sure enough, someone would come and I was like, oh, will you do these for me? And as you know, this is a father and his three sons and this is where they lived. And so I'd tell them like the whole story about it and they'd get so excited. And it was just so fun to be able to share um, my love of family history with them and to get them involved, even just doing those few names. So it was really neat. <laughs> so great. Um, okay, talk to me about this. You, I mean, 
at this point, based on based on this interview, your life from the time you left your house has been crescendoing. It's I mean, it's been getting just better and better and better and better. However, you mentioned that your husband has passed away. Mm -hmm. So talk to me about kind of how did that work of, you know, you've made the covenant, you found the church, you've made covenants, you're doing everything you can, but your life is still not super easy. Yes. If anything, it actually got harder joining the church, but it was easier because I had God then. So um, shortly after joining it, my husband's health declined significantly. And so he was having like a dozen seizures a day. He got into lots of addictions. He, towards the end, had like the brain mentality of a two or three year old. Like, so he had to be cared for full time. So I had to work nights and take care of him during the day. And um, my daughter had all kinds of medical issues that were going on that was really tricky. But all of those things are much easier when you have community, when you have people that love you and that can support you and just help you through that. But it got significantly harder. Um, and there was a while where I was really angry with my late husband because of so many bad things that he had done. And I had gone, I decided to go to the temple because I thought maybe we needed to get divorced because it was so bad. So when I went to the temple, I prayed about it. The answer I got was no, that you needed to stay with him. And I was actually disappointed. <laughs> and I was like, well, God, if I need to stay here, then I need you to soften my heart because this is really hard for me to serve someone who is not good to me, right? And so every day I prayed, like, please soften my heart. Please help me to serve him joyfully and not just serve him out of necessity, right? And mm -hmm. so day by day, I would keep praying and my heart softened a little more, a little more, and a little more. And nine months later, I was leaving for work and I looked at him and I realized there was no more resentment. Like I was not mad at him. I had forgiven him. And it was such an amazing feeling to know I could finally not have to hold on to that. So I kissed his forehead and I went to work and he died two hours later. And so like God saw it fit for my late husband to stay alive long enough for my heart to soften, to forgive him. And then he got to go home. Oh my gosh. Right. That's... Like crazy. And he was totally stabilized then. Like he had, so we did not expect that he would die so soon. Like we knew that his quality of life would be low, but he just had a seizure when I was at work and that was the end of that. And then he was no longer suffering. And now his mental illness was no longer being able to control his ability to accept the gospel and to be the type of person who he was when we got married. Um, but that was a really strong testimony to me that the atonement is real, that you can, they really can help you to forgive the unforgivable and to forgive people who are making choices that are harming you, but that you can't control. What a tender mercy. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, and so then after that, then I was a single mom, which was quite interesting. Um, especially in the, yeah, but the church was so helpful and they were really helpful with me working and helping to watch my daughter and helping to like recreate life. Right. Cause you, when you've been married for 12 years, like it's kind of hard to transition to oh, like, and then your life, not taking care of someone who's been ill for so many years. So it was quite a process. I did lots of therapy, lots of rediscovering who I was and what I needed to be, to be healthy and to not fall into some of the patterns that I had done in my first marriage to make sure that if I did get married again, that it would be to someone who is very mentally stable and who was not likely to get lost in addictions and who loved the gospel because I loved the gospel. My late husband never did. And so it was really me having to live my faith very strongly in the force of strong opposition, which is sometimes exhausting. Um, so as time goes on, um, I met a widower whose first wife had passed away too. Um, so he had four children from his first wife and I had one from my first husband. And um, we met in a group for people from our church who had been widowed with small children. We became best friends and got married 10 months later. 
and he is amazing. Like he loves the gospel. We got to be sealed in the temple. We do scripture study. We do family home evening. Like we go to church every week. Like it is the life I had always imagined, but I never thought was possible. And so like I, it's like night and day different. And so we are so happy. So we've been married five years now. We have six children together. And um, we have such a strong testimony of how God can heal all wounds, right? Because we had to bury our spouses and there's so much grief and so much loss, but there's also so much hope to know that they're in a better place and the things that they suffered with in this life are no longer limiting them. Yes. Well, congratulations on the, yeah. on the new marriage. I feel like, I mean, you really have two doctorate degrees, you know, one in... Um, the pharmacy and the other is just like life experience like holy smokes this is astounding it is a lot but god has never left me um one sweet experience is after i was a member um i did get my patriarchal blessing and i was okay. teaching sunday school students at the time and they're like well why are you getting a patriarchal blessing like you're already married you already have a kid you already went to college right that's usually what they tell you about your patriarchal blessing it's like so why would you want to know and i was like because i want to know if i'm loved like, I want to know if I am enough, right? Because growing up, I never really had that validation from my parents. And so I just wanted to know, like, was I really a daughter of God? Like, am I acceptable to him, the things that I'm doing? And so when I went to get my patriarchal blessing, it was so sweet. Like a large portion of it actually talks about my heavenly mother and father and about mm -hmm. how much they loved me and how they had taught me in my, you know, in, in the pre-mortal life to help me to have the strength to live a very hard life on earth, but that I would be able to do so much good to so many people because of my faith. And anyways, it was just such a really neat experience to know that like God never gave up on me, that angels really did attend to me all throughout my life, even when I didn't know the gospel yet, and that I can be a facilitator of miracles even now. And that's what was really neat to learn. So I'm really grateful for modern prophets and for the ability to have patriarchal blessings that we can learn of our heritage and know that we truly are like beloved sons and daughters of God. And that even before we came here, we were so loved to such a degree and there's nothing we can do to sever that love. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Well, and, and that, that knowledge has, has to be so foundational for an individual, right? If, mm -hmm. if you know that you are loved unconditionally by your heavenly parents, that can get you through a lot of tough times. It can. And it also saves a lot of poor decisions because a lot of poor decisions I made in my youth was because I wanted to be wanted. And when someone is seeking for validation, you can make a lot of really bad choices. And you can see that in a lot of our youth, like they just want to be wanted. And sometimes they make choices that aren't the best because they're like, well, that's the most popular thing. So let's do that. So right. having a firm foundation in knowing that you are beloved children of heavenly parents means that you don't have to make the same mistakes as everyone else, that you can make better choices that don't harm yourself or others. And I'm really grateful that for our six children, that we're able to teach them that and give them that foundation, whether they choose to follow it or not as their agency, but at least they're growing up in an environment where they know that they are loved and that they are, that they are children of God. Was your family ever okay with you joining the church? They were very much against it in the beginning, but they've since come around. They're fine. They're like, well, if you're happy, it's okay. But in the beginning, there was such strong opposition. Right. Um, the missionary who taught me, he's like, I'm going to tell you that there's going to be a lot of opposition to this because the devil knows that someone who will have that strong of a testimony can do so much work for the kingdom of God. So if he can deter you from joining it, then he can stop a lot of people from getting saved. And so... Right. Uh, it's, it's good to have that recognition. Like you're going to get a lot of opposition doesn't mean it's wrong. It just means that you're on the right track. 
Yeah. And that's why I think it's so important for each of us to remember that opposition is not a sign that we're making the wrong decision. Sometimes wrong decisions are accompanied by opposition. And so we need to turn around and try a different path. But that's not, that cannot be the determining factor. The determining factor has to be the influence of the spirit. If yeah. I'm feeling the spirit about it, then whether there's opposition or not doesn't matter. I'm feeling the spirit about it. I'm good to go. Yes, there's a talk by Elder Holland called Cast Not Therefore Away Thy Confidence. And that scripture is so great. It says, Cast not therefore away thy confidence, which have great recompense of reward, for ye are in need of patience. And after you have done the will of God, you will receive the promise. So once you have paid the price for revelation, you have to keep forward because there'll be lots of people that will try to be like, well, that's not right or that's stupid. You shouldn't do that. But once you've received that revelation, if you continue forward in faith and have patience, you'll receive that promise. And so that really helped me when I got very strong confirmation that this is what I needed to do. Um, but it seemed like most of the world was against me. Yeah. But once I went forth, like the amazing blessings that Heavenly Father has given us, you could not even count them all. So I am grateful for that um, institute teacher who is bold enough to give me a Book of Mormon and invite me to come to the Mesa Temple to pray about it. Christine, how would you... What would you say in closing, you know, to somebody who's listening to this? I mean, we've covered so many topics in your life story. What would you, how would you wrap it up? So my best advice is that if you're not sure what to do, that you should pour out your heart to Heavenly Father, and he will always be there for you. He will help to guide you and help to give you the next right step. There are many righteous desires of our hearts that may not come. I love the Elder Holland quote that says, some blessings come early and some come later and some don't come till heaven. But to those that follow the gospel of Jesus Christ, they always come. And I testify that that's true. So even if you desire to get married or to have children or to be financially stable, whatever righteous desire you have, that as long as you continue to turn towards him and all you do, those righteous desires will be fulfilled in his time and perhaps not in the way you thought because I never thought my life would be here, but it's better than I ever imagined. So I testify that God's plan for you, like you do not even have the imagination for the type of life that he's planned. Like I did not have the imagination to imagine how good of a husband I'd have, like how fulfilling it is to go to the temple with your spouse, like how amazing it is to take the sacrament and to raise your children in righteousness. Like that is something that as members, we often take it for, take advantage take for granted yeah sorry mm -hmm. take for granted but um it is really such a blessing so never underestimate the power of um suggestion and the power of invitation because to us going to the temple like oh that's nice but when you're not a member and you don't have the spirit of god with you going to temple grounds is amazing like that spirit is so strong and it's so comforting and it's something so many people have been searching for for so long so never underestimate the power of inviting someone to a church service to the to any consecrated land they really will be able to feel the difference if they are not a member and they don't have that gift of the holy spirit yet well Thank you again for sharing your time and, and your amazing story with us. Thank you. This There's has been so much fun. To think about and try to process this. This is great. It really is. Heavenly Father has been so good to me and has been so kind and merciful and given me way more than I could ever deserve. So with my last breath, I will testify of him, of how good he is, and that even through the hardest trials, he will be there to help you through them. 